This episode is the part two of the phase separation in immune signaling series. If you missed the first part, we highly recommend listening to it to understand what phase separation is. All right, so coming back to functional consequences of condensation, we know a little bit about how condensates form, but what do these condensates do? Well, they probably are key in many processes, including regulating translation of certain mRNAs, metabolism, and intracellular signaling. If you consider cell-to-cell signaling, you may recognize that condensates can function like our more traditionally held idea of signaling clusters. In fact, a condensate may form may offer more opportunity for interaction given the heterologous uh, or heterogeneous composition of liquid phase condensates. This could make these condensates more sensitive to environmental changes. Maybe these condensates can form a gel that makes signal transduction a little faster. We know that TCRs and BCRs are sensitive to physical force and could liquid condensates help regulate the activity of receptors such as these? Keep in mind the limitations of experiments when reading papers regarding the functions of condensates. Uh, like uh, Kira mentioned before, we are still limited by a lot of techniques. In many experiments, protein concentrations are altered, which will alter the condensate. But maybe these types of experiments don't directly answer the questions scientists seek to answer. The authors use a table showing potential new technologies that could overcome this caveat in phase separation research. And if you have the link to this article, which should be in the description, you should check this out. My question to uh, Kira, briefly, could you explain some of these new techniques and the advantages they have over the currently accepted approaches in the field? Yeah, so um, some of the techniques that we have in that table have been used for a while now, um, like FRAP, which I was describing before. Um, but one of the newer techniques uh, is called Distributed Amphiphoric Forster Resonance Energy Transfer, or just DAM-FRET. Um, and that's basically this technique that allows you to measure phase transitions in live cells by tagging a protein varying its expression or concentration, and then uh, measuring fluorescence signal or FRET signal. And that's more intense when the tag proteins are assembled or closer together. And so this is advantageous because it can be utilized in a high throughput manner. And it also gives an, an idea of um, the disordered state of the cell as well as uh, protein density um, that is required to drive phase separation. And another uh, new technique that's been recently developed is called photoluminescence lifetime imaging. And that uh, is where instead of measuring fluorescence intensity, you instead look at the fluorescence lifetime of the probes that you're using, which uh, the name of the technique suggests. And this offers um, another high throughput means um, of looking at phase separation, as well as a better spatiotemporal resolution for uh, visualizing these condensates. And there's other tools as well that have been around for a while, like NMR, that are uh, being used more frequently for phase separation uh, because they give us more of an insight into condensate composition 
which as we've talked about before is a bit of a elusive aspect of these entities. Um, and I think another cool technique to highlight is the use of optogenetics, where a light inducible dimer is fused to a fluorescently tagged protein or protein domain uh, that contains a putative phase separation domain. And so shining certain, certain wavelengths will, of light will trigger clustering of the tagged proteins. Um, and that can be used to investigate what protein domains are needed for phase separation, uh, the conditions that promote or inhibit uh, LLPS, and then the effects also of this phenomenon on other processes in the cell. So I, I have a question about when, when you tag a protein or even put, I mean, I know GFP is pretty small, but would that change the protein structure significantly enough to change how it you know, associates with condensates? Yes, very likely. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, no. that can happen. And it can also, um, yeah, if you uh, have a protein and you tag it, um, that can also lead to aggregation, maybe not phase separation, but um, there are definitely caveats. <laughs> Yeah, I think definitely that's a, a caveat for like uh, uh, probably not only the phase separation study, but generally like cell biology studies and uh, uh, how can we uh, verify the tag, the tagging doesn't uh, interfere with the native function of the proteins. So uh, people usually trying to do like, uh, uh, for example, uh, using orthogonal tags and uh, put the tag at different position of the protein, like whether on the N-terminal, C-terminal, or internal. And also uh, trying to uh, verify, if, if we can like, verify some of the results using uh, antibody staining uh, of the native protein. Um, so I, I think this is definitely something we will need to keep in mind uh, when we are like observing uh, uh, these green blobs in the cells and whether they are uh, something real or they are our like uh, uh, fantasy about uh, uh, our favorite proteins. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a problem with immunoprecipitation as well. When you tag your proteins with, let's say, make or flag or HA, you exactly. could change the chemistry or the interactions a bit. Yeah. So, so that's why I think like people trying to do cell one is trying to tag like now we can do CRISPR so we can put the like the, the tag in the endogenous copy so that it doesn't really interfere with uh, the stoichiometry uh, of the complex. Uh, and also I think these tags are now like uh, uh, being improved uh, to make it like more inert to reduce its like uh, 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 non-specific binding to to other other uh, components inside of the cells. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about phase separation at cell surface. One important aspect on immune cells is the interactions with neighboring cells and the extracellular cues. One of the ways of interactions is by using cell surface receptors. And we now know that these receptors can form nanometer to micrometer sized clusters to the plasma membrane, including T-cell receptors and B-cell receptor signaling. Let's dive now on how phase separation gets in the signaling game of these two important receptors. So finally, we are getting into the 
immunology crossover with phase separation. Eugenio, do you want to talk to us about TCR signaling a bit? Yes, for sure. I will talk about my favorite <laughs> signaling, which is TCR. Uh, so during antigen recognition by T cells, the formation of microcluster of TCR happened in the plasma membrane. In this process, it was shown that three proteins, LAT, GRB2, and SOS1, can form oligomers in the solution through a multivalent interaction. It was also shown that LAT, or linker of activation of T cells, have a liquid-liquid properties and are formed by LLPS. Two proteins from the TCR signaling cascade, like SOS1 and PLC-gamma1, exert its function as scaffold proteins for LAT cluster information. And Dr. Shirley, can you tell us, can you tell the audience what are the functions of LAT condensates? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So LAT uh, uh, is my favorite molecule. So uh, it is uh, served as a signaling hub in T cells. Uh, and LAT is originally discovered by Larry Samuelson's lab in NIH. Uh, so uh, LAT is a short name. So it stands for linker for activation of T cells. As you can tell from uh, its name, it links the upstream activation of T cells to the many downstream pathways, including calcium, ERK, and actin. So all of these are required for uh, a fully activated T cells. So uh, biochemically, uh, LAT uh, serve as an adapter protein to recruit and activate uh, multiple downstream effectors as a plasma membrane. Thank you. And one important point here in the regulation of TCR would be the disassemble of the LAT condensate. Different studies indicate that this process occurs by endocytosis and ubiquitination. Other mechanisms is the participation of two cytosolic phosphatases, SHP1 and SHP2, that are recruited to the cluster, dephosphorylate LAT, and disassemble the cluster. This is proposed to be a negative feedback loop to regulate cluster formation, which could be important for setting TCR signaling after activation. And here um, I have two questions. And the first one would be, in the context of the disease, could be any particular situation where the process of disassemble is not occurring and overacting of T cell will be happening? Like for example, an autoimmune disease? Euhelio, uh, uh, I think uh, you point a very interesting potential mechanism for the cause of autoimmune disease. Um, but uh, uh, since the phase separation immune signaling is still a, a young field, uh, so far we don't have, uh, or we haven't seen any reports uh, on, on that part, but I, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if there's something coming up very soon. And could phase separation mechanisms allow the TCR to distinguish between self and non-self antigens? Yes, so that's actually a, a classical question uh, in, in the T-cell biology, which is how T-cell distinguish self versus foreign antigens. So the puzzling part here is that the chemical and the physical difference between self and uh, foreign antigens are pretty small, um, but their effect on T-cells uh, is black and white. So that's why uh, I think phase separation uh, could be a, a, a ideal mechanism to explain how this happens. Uh, because if the immune signaling balance is tuned very, very close to the phase boundary, uh, 
uh, a small change in the input can cause a phase difference in the output, uh, which can cause a T cell activation. So uh, I think uh, to test uh, if phase separation can explain how T cells distinguish uh, uh, foreign and the self antigens, we will need to quantitatively control the antigen density and affinity and uh, so that uh, we can get a, a convincing answer for that. Thank you very much. And now, Natalie, can you tell us about what's going on with the BCR and liquid liquid cell separation? Yeah, so TCR is your favorite, well, BCR is mine. Uh, <laughs> TCR... Does everyone have favorite molecules? I, I think so. <laughs> is it your stat? Uh, one of the stats? It's just I work with. No, I hate it. <laughs> but I think I need to start looking up for a favorite molecule, maybe FC receptors. I'll take those. Okay. <laughs> oh, these are really cool receptors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, back to the BCR. So, so the TCR has LAT, but BCR signaling is driven by a scaffolding protein called SLP65. Its binding partner is CIN85, or you could call it SH3KP1. So in TCR signaling, we learned that these condensates form once that T cell is activated, but in B cells, the SLP65 condensates are already formed. They're waiting to go in the cytosol for the B cell to encounter its antigen and get activated. So uh, Kira, how is this advantageous for B cell function? And what triggers those SLP condensates, uh, SLP65 condensates to go to the membrane? Yeah, so I think that the role of these preformed condensates is probably a temporal one. And so um, these condensates, like you said, they prime the B cell for activation. Um, and in the paper that shows uh, that B cell receptor signaling components cluster, it's by Leo Wong and colleagues. Uh, it's demonstrated that SLP65 condensates promote B cell signaling. And so these preformed clusters could be a means of efficient signal transduction by delivering a large amount of uh, B cell receptor signaling effectors to uh, BCR clusters. And so uh, SLP65 um, condensate recruitment to um, the membrane is not well studied and it might differ slightly from uh, SLP65 regular recruitment to the membrane. So uh, that's a bit unclear. Okay, very cool. Thank you. Um, so we know that the proteins can make condensates, but uh, particularly the SLIP65 can make condensates it's on its own, but they also rely on liposomes, which are small vesicles, to form condensates. So SLIP65 co-localizes to special liposomes that bear the marker VAMP7, uh, which is also known to play a role in forming T-cell condensates by bringing stuff to the surface, basically. So what do these condensates do exactly? Well, we know if we mutate the part of SLIP65 that binds to these vesicles, condensates don't form and BCR signaling is defective. Uh, calcium influx specifically is abrogated. So clearly the condensates are necessary for an effective BCR signal. Questions that remain include, okay, so what does the structure itself do? Is the condensate only good for bringing in VAMP7 vesicles, which would traffic more proteins up to the site? Does SLIP65 recruit anything else useful for BCR signaling? Do these ever degrade? When? How? It's too many questions. So Kira, again, 
What about in the case of BCR clustering? Uh, how does SLIP65 facilitate that? And do you have any hypotheses about how these complexes work? Yeah, so uh, given the association between SLIP65 and liposomes, I think it may be the case that uh, SLIP65 acts as an adapter to deliver other components related to BCR signaling to the cell surface, um, and that promotes uh, BCR cluster clustering. Uh, but this is speculation because we don't really know the entire composition of SLIP65 condensates in cells, um, but it, it would be a reasonable explanation. And I think there's a lot of um, unanswered questions regarding uh, condensate composition and how this is regulated and how that influences the spatial distribution of other components outside of the phase separated body. A lot of that is still unknown. I have a question. If there is a lot of, let's say, SLIP65 in a liposome, do we call that a phase-separated stuff or liposome? Uh, that, that's actually a, a very interesting question. So, um, uh, work from uh, my colleague, uh, uh, PhD community here at Yale. So, actually, they first showed uh, the, uh, these uh, liposomes or, or, or intracellular vesicles can be clustered uh, in the neuron terminals by uh, specific proteins. So uh, I, I think um, although we're talking about when we say these like uh, condensates like a 3D or 2Ds, but I, I think the, the, the key point is uh, a specific uh, biological entities is enriched in these condensates. So it can be protein, can be RNA, can be lipids, and it can be liposomes and vesicles, or even some other larger organelles. So uh, I, I think uh, the, the SLIP65 case is extremely interesting because uh, as you can imagine, uh, with the participation of uh, liposomes, it creates many interesting interface between the uh, uh, liquid condensates and the membranes. Uh, and uh, uh, as, as we know, like uh, when these condensates are, are like wet on the membranes, there are a lot of interesting chemistry could happen on the interface. So, uh, so I, I think uh, this is a, a, a pretty special case uh, when we call these like uh, 3D condensates, um, but uh, uh, it also has certain properties uh, of the 2D condensate that uh, we have been uh, uh, talking about. Okay. Now that we have talked about TCRs and BCRs, let's go to the innate immune receptors. There are several innate immune receptors that cluster at the cell surface upon ligand binding, including phagocytic receptors like Dectin-1 and FC-Epsilon receptor, which I just announced is my favorite receptor. So these receptors, the clusters are similar to TCRs and BCR signaling clusters in that they contain ITAMs, which are the specific domains that help in recruitment of kinases or phosphatases. And these clusters are nano to micrometers in size including many signaling molecule complexes and these may include some signaling molecule uh, complexes and may even exclude inhibitors of signal uh, transduction for a more efficient signaling mechanisms. Uh, Eugenio and Natalie, I'll let you guys talk about some specific cases of condensate formation in innate immune signaling. 
Thank you, Jati. So I will talk about an important intracellular receptor, which is CGAS. And this receptor senses abnormal cytosolic double-stranded DNA derived from pathogens or from nuclear or mitochondrial damage. Double-stranded DNA activates CGAS, resulting in the, in the synthesis of cyclic GAMP, which in turn activates STINK, leading to the production of type 1 interferon. What I didn't know until now is that the binding of DNA with CGAS induces the formation of a liquid-liquid-like condensate. One advantage of the formation of the condensate is that it enhances the function of CGAS by protecting the degradation of DNA by TRAX1. And here, uh, Dr. Chen, can you talk about the role of pathogens or pathological conditions that can alter phase separation of CGAS and its physiological, and its physiological consequences? Oh, yes. So the CGAS signaling pathway has been, uh, I think, well studied in the past few years. And it is the key mediator of inflammation in the setting of infection, cellular stress, and the tissue damage. However, it was showing very recently that CGAS also can form phase separation. So upon the virus infection, the DNA binding to CGAS, which can induce this formation of the liquid-like condensates. Uh, interesting is that the CGAS also can form liquid-like condensates with the double-strand RNA, although the double-strand RNA cannot activate active CGAS pathway. So another study from a preprint indicate that actually the high concentration of double-strand RNAs compete with the double-strand DNA for CGAS binding, which results in the inhibition of CGAS activities. And um, so for that, uh, we can move to the tumor cells. So it has been found that there are two tumor-associated mutations for CGAS. So they are located in one of the DNA binding sites of CGAS, which can result in a redu reduced formation of CGAS condensates. So under the consequence of that is it can decrease the CGAS production and also uh, decrease the downstream pathway actuations. However, those mutations may also affect DNA binding and enzyme activities for CGAS. So it's not clear that if they reduce the ability for um, form condensates can explain the decreased CGAP production and also they decrease the pathway activation. The further investigations are needed to understand how the formation of CGAS condensates can affect the downstream pathways in both immune cells and uh, tumor cells, and how those CGAS muta mutations, which can contribute to change the immune response during the tumor progression. I found this part very interesting that having double-stranded RNA would or like act as a decoy to put in lead CGAS activation and how what you mentioned about RNA viruses affecting how the cell responds to DNA viruses. That's so cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. But I think we, would, we can go now with another intracellular receptor, which is RIG1. Yeah, so here's another innate immune sensor. It's RIG I. It senses SS, uh, single-stranded and double-stranded RNA viruses. So what you might not know is that RIGI requires the formation of stress granules to promote its signaling and function. So 
The authors all summarize one preprint that shows that RNA binding to Rig I seeds liquid liquid phase separation of its binding partner, Trim25. So Rig I requires Trim25 to undergo ubiquitination and signal downstream. Moreover, an important protein in stress granules, G3BP1, can help Rigai bind to dsRNA. G3BP1 also binds to another component, RNF125, to promote ubiquitination upon viral infection. Together, findings in this field have demonstrated that stress granules help to enhance Rigai signaling and the antiviral response. Other immune proteins, like MDA5, for instance, also hang out in virally induced stress granules. These stress granules could play dual roles in both preventing viral transcripts from being translated and helping the innate immune signal signal more effectively. But more research is necessary to fully understand these mechanisms. Let's talk about NF-kappa-B pathway. Uh, several infections utilize the formation of these phases to alter host immune response. Let's take the example of RSV or respiratory syncytial virus. In the RSV-infected cells, the viral proteins can form liquid-like condensates called inclusion bodies. These inclusion bodies are known to sequester a subunit of NF-kappa-B called P65 that is required for the delivery of signals from many pattern recognition receptors like toll-like receptors to the nucleus and increase immune response. However, by trapping P65 subunit inside the inclusion body, the virus keeps the immune signaling down. Similar phenomenon is noticed with MAVs or mitochondrial antiviral signaling protein and MDA5 being recruited into RSV-induced inclusion bodies as a mechanism to inhibit expression of Typhon interferons. The RSV inclusion bodies are also known to keep MAP kinases hidden in the inclusion bodies and prevent it from inducing a stress granule response which can normally inhibit RSV replication. What's so important about this phenomenon is that the absolute concentration of these intracellular molecules, let's say P65 of NF-kappa-B, is not changing at all. The only thing that is changing is the phase they are localized in. If I did not know about this phenomenon of LLPS, I might think RSV probably has some inhibitor of P65 that keeps it from going to the nucleus. And naturally, I would not be able to find this inhibitor because there is no inhibitor or change in the transcription of P65. The protein is just localized in a different compartment where it cannot do its job. Uh, Chen, do you think this, cha this change changes the way we look at how certain drugs work or even newly discovered lead molecules work? Maybe a drug could be working by affecting the phase separation of its target protein without binding to it very tightly. Should we add phase separation experiments as a part of how we test or screen for inhibitor molecules? Oh, it's a very great question. So I think the targeting phase separation poses challenges as well. However, so those conceptual framework of the Nuclear leopard phase separation can provide the concrete example and the predictions for the drug development. I think the first one is the conventional drugs, which can target the global proteins involved in the nuclear leopard phase separation regulation by signaling or the protein post translational modification. And the second one is about the unconventional drugs, which can directly target on the interaction domains lead to 
liquid phase separation or the physical chemistry of the phase separation systems. I believe ta directly targeting of the phase separation may be a lower therapeutic approaches because currently most drug targets are the enzymes, the G-protein couple receptors, the kinase, nuclear receptors, and the transporters. However, when you look at to the genomes, you will find that about over more than half of the genomes, including the intrinsically disordered proteins, they didn't fall into those classes. So I think in, um, adding the phase separation experiment might be a good testing options for those targeted proteins which has been proved can form phase separation. However, there's still a very challenge is that in most cases, for example, when you look at the virus infection, the neuron diseases and also the cancer cancers, so the detailed mechanism was not so clear. And we were asking if the phase separation actually a good target. And also is the abnormal phase separation simply a consequence of those pathologies. I think most basic researchers into those mechanisms were needed for confer the confidence in phase separation as a target. Uh, so far, phase separation studies, I think, still in very early stage. The more we know about the phase separation process, about the targeted proteins, the more solution and the more molecules we could design and testing, which can eventually lead us to find a drug specifically affect phase separation of its targeted proteins. Thanks a lot, Jen. Eugenio, what are some outstanding questions in this field? So um, in the upcoming years, it will be necessary to determine the internal organization and the structure of the condensate components at atomic resolution. And one of the technologies that could lead to this achievement is the application of nuclear magnetic resonance imaging and computational simulation. And here, the audience may ask, well, why do we need to know the internal structure? If it's really necessary, well, if we could develop agonists or antagonists to perturb or inhibit or enhance condensate in immune responses, it would be beneficial for developing new treatments for several diseases. And Natalie, what about the uh, immune immune synapses or other things we got to with liquid phase separation? Yeah, well, everything we've talked about today really only focuses on one compartment of the cell at a time, um, the cytoplasm or the membrane. And this is mostly due to limitations of technology that allow us to visualize phase separation. But we know that the immune synapse, when antigen is actually presented to an immune cell, is really five distinct spaces. So you got the cytosol and the plasma membrane of your immune cell, and there's a space in between the two cells, and then the plasma membrane and cytosol of the antigen presenting cell. So it's likely that all of these compartments act on each other. So, Shaolei, uh, what advances are being made and what kind of experiments are being designed to understand phase separation on the scale of the immune synapse. So, uh, uh, Natalie, uh, as you articulated, the uh, immune synapse is a very complicated uh, uh, case uh, for the study of phase separation because it contains like two membranes and uh, three uh, uh, 
compartments um, that is interspaced by the two membranes. So uh, I think uh, in the past, uh, efforts from my lab and other labs uh, have uh, been uh, uh, able to uh, reconstitute or, or image uh, a single or two phases uh, for, for as a part of the immunological synapse. But to put them together, uh, we need to uh, solve some really uh, technical challenges. So, uh, for example, uh, we uh, will need to establish a biochemical system for reconstituting the signaling condensates uh, on two adjacent membranes. And also, uh, we need to uh, develop imaging uh, techniques uh, that can visualize the condensate formation uh, in the synapse uh, in live cells at high spatial and temporal resolutions. So uh, we are really like a, a, a welcome uh, collaborations uh, uh, from experts in membrane biology, engineering, and microscopy. And also uh, uh, for the audience, uh, uh, please uh, let us know if you have a solution uh, to uh, any of these the above technological uh, challenges. Um, so I, I think in the end, uh, it will be a, a team efforts uh, to uh, to really uh, review uh, the uh, the phase separation properties of uh, a complex system uh, such as the immunological synapse. Let's jump into the summary. The key conclusions from this study are that liquid-liquid phase separation drives the formation of signaling condensates and regulates immune signaling pathway of different innate and adaptive receptors. Certain pathogens can exploit the phase separation phenomenon to sequester important immune signaling components to evade the immune system. And developing new technologies to study phase separation phenomenon itself and strategies for modifying the condensates to control the immune response may be beneficial for targeted therapeutic strategies for immune-mediated disorders. I think this would be a good point to wrap up the discussion. Uh, thanks a lot, Shaole, uh, Kira, and Jen for joining us today. Absolutely, yeah, it's uh, our great pleasure. Uh, and so we, I think this is a really a wonderful discussion and I enjoyed every questions. Uh, Thanks a lot. It is our pleasure. We got to, at least I was speaking from personal experience, I got to learn a lot from this. <laughs> well, the same for me. <laughs> and I and learned what, what stress granules means. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, Natalie and Eugenio, for the wonderful discussion as well. For our audience, if you are interested to know more about our science communication endeavors, please check out antibodies.org. You can find out about our blogs, journal clubs, and podcasts there. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at antibodies1 at the rate gmail.com. With that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off until we meet again. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.